I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello. You know her. You love her. I was really excited by the feedback from her first episode. I mean, I knew I was already deep in love when we recorded our first show. I am thrilled that psychotherapist, now published author, and all-around brilliant mind, Catherine Morgan Schaffler is back today. We are talking about joy, which I'm really pumped about. It was interesting researching it. It's been interesting thinking about it. It's interesting what a lot of people had to say when I brought up joy. Joy is defined as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And I'm really grateful to Catherine both for just giving me her time and letting me swim around a bit in her brain because she's just super smart and knowledgeable. But It was also really cool just prepping for this episode and just learning more about joy and learning more about, you know, like positive psychology and the different ways that we can cultivate some of these feelings in ourselves and stuff like that. I was a little skeptical at first. I was like, that seems too easy. I can just like make myself feel better. But turns out you can. So I hope everyone enjoys episode 59, Joy with Catherine Morgan Schaffler. Even though it's 11, oh, it's 11, 11, auspicious. I'm forever 13. It's like not early. And yet I think because of the, how dreary it's been that the morning I feel like just lasts forever that I'm like, thank you for joining me this morning, Catherine. And I'm like, it's not really that early. Like I'm acting like it's like eight or 9 a.m. And that's the thing about in the winter, because it gets dark so early, it's like the day is split up into the morning and night and afternoon disappears. It's gone. It's so true. I mean, so many days. And I think because like something I've noticed about myself is how sensitive I am. It doesn't affect me from like a depression standpoint necessarily uh, the weather, but it really affects my ability to tell time and overcast. It's so true. It'll be like 3.30 and I'm like, why do I want to cry and die? And I'm like, because you haven't had lunch, you know, like, because I'm just disoriented about what time it is. A friend of mine told me that she reads every morning for like uh, 20 minutes and especially in the winter, like gets her stove going, gets the fire going, all this stuff. And I was like, that sounds like a treat and like a very dreamy going in the fire going yeah I was like how romantic and I've been reading in the morning and it's funny because I just started reading the practice of not thinking a guide to mindful living which my mom read and then like everything came back to this book for a while and so of course Mm -hmm. I had zero interest in reading it because you know you Daughters got to be daughters. And then she read a few books I recommended. And I was like, I'll read her thinking book. Yes, the prosody. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And what's interesting is it felt really in alignment with the the conversation we're going to have today about joy. Because yeah. something I thought was really interesting and, you know, I think is interesting in your work as well is like, I always tune into when people 
bring up similar concepts or like bring up some, you know, like, or repeat words. And I thought it was interesting in your book about perfectionism, you brought up joy a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that's interesting. And I'm like, I'm curious, you know, obviously like, you know, what your take is on that. And then I've been reading, you know, this book, the, the practice of not thinking and another one that's bringing up joy a lot. And I was like, wow, joy seems to be a real antidote for a lot of what, ails us in this life. And yet, for myself, when I was trying to sort of examine my relationship with joy, I found it really difficult. You know, like, I found it really for a multitude of reasons. But something in prepping for today that fascinated me was that the idea of like positive psychology and expanding past the idea of just like happiness Mm -hmm. is kind of a relatively new concept. Yeah, I think that's something that's surprising about joy is that there's a lot of resistance around it because yeah. in order to feel joy, you have to be open in some way. You have to be, mm-hmm. you know, another way to say that is you have to be ready to receive in some mm-hmm. way. And, you know, part of why joy was such a through line in my book is because my book is about losing control, The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. And you cannot be in surrender and in a place of openness and also maintain control. And so there's something scary sometimes about feeling joy. Yeah. And I think on a superficial level, the fear is processed as like, well, If I'm feeling joyful, I'm not being responsible in some way, or I'm not going to get all the shit I need to get done done, or I'm going to let something slip. But on a deeper level, it's really about giving yourself permission to not wait until you do all of these things that are on your mental to-do list, and then you can feel joy, right? It's like a pleasure conditional mindset is I can feel pleasure when yeah, and joyful, like getting out of that mindset is really tricky and it's unfamiliar for a lot of people. It's certainly not what mainstream culture teaches us to do. And so we kind of have to make our own path and dismantle a lot before we can start to build. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying. There is this this sort of big question mark around joy. Like, what does joy even feel like? What do I need to do to enable it? How do I know I'm in joy? You know, whereas suffering, like, pretty clear. Yeah, (laughs) there's no question. (laughs) Oh, I'm like doing all the indulging in every self-destructive behavior. Check. I'm definitely hurting, you know, but we really don't know how to stay in our joy. We understand the message to stay in our discomfort and we're trying to get better at that. But I think the real challenge and the next level of work is can you stay in your joy? Because there is always a reason to not feel joy. Like it's one of my personal mantras that I have to tell myself all the time is that it's okay for me to choose joy. You know, there's a lot of suffering in the world and outside of the macro scenario, I have a lot of suffering around me. A lot of people I love are suffering. Some people I love are struggling with addiction, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, there's no solidarity by you suffering too. 
yeah, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't, it doesn't shift that person, other person suffering. Do you think that some of the resistance for me and something I've been looking at a lot is this like fear of being a narcissist that I think is somewhat imposed upon I think more so imposed upon women you always have to sort of question that like am I being a narcissist am I being a narcissist and we're like obsessed with it on Instagram if you looked at Instagram you would think that like 96% of people are narcissists whereas I think it's actually literally the percentage of people who actually are clinical narcissists in our society is pretty low which I mean, it's kind of upsetting, you know, when you think of how you've like classified some of the people in your life, you're like, oh man, they maybe were just jerks and I should have taken better care of myself. Well, the percentage clinically is, is around 1%, but also narcissists don't seek therapy and who's who's like, who's doing the head count and who's showing up for the head count? Um, That is a great question. So I don't know that that stat is really the most useful. True. And I mean, but, um, and I don't know that I agree with this, you know, way we've done like social media citizens arrest of like call outs and things like that. However, I, (laughs) but I think like for me, something that was interesting was when I really wanted, you know, like I, when I was in therapy, I started having this attitude of, what have I done all this work for if I'm not going to feel more joy? What have I done all this work for if I'm not going to experience more happiness or like let myself go? And that was, that was really difficult. And the way I started to tap into joy was through drugs, which Mm -hmm. I I mean, not, I don't know. I don't like, I don't feel shame around it, but I'm also not going to pretend like I wasn't, you know, using something which, you know, takes away that self-consciousness, you know, like, And my therapist was like, cool, cool, cool. Would love for you to do some of this work, like without taking high doses of edibles. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I understand. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I feel like right now what's powerful for me about this is it lets me like touch this level of joy I've never touched consciously, you know? And Mm -hmm. I said, and it's powerful for me to touch it, even if I am, you know, under the influence, because then I know it exists, you know, then I know I'm capable of it. And if I could feel that way, you know, I have this powerful memory of when I talked um, a friend into going to this natural swimming pool in New Jersey. And, you know, on the the photos on the website, it looks beautiful. We're going to swim in this like rock quarry and all this stuff. No, not the case. There were so many tadpoles, so many salamanders. But I got there right as the edible hit. So the hilarity of all of it, it just took me to outer space in terms of like joy. And I had set, you know, my intention for the day. It happened to be like a new moon that I was like, I just want to put my bod in a body of water today. Like that Mm -hmm. would be a successful day. So while my friends like freaking out about the salamanders, I was like, just delete them, friend. Just delete them from your brain and just float and just think like at least we're in nature. At least we're like... Like out of the city, it's hot, it's a new mood, you know? Yeah. And I f- experienced this like sublime joy. And what was helpful for me about doing that, I think, using drugs was it, it let me 
feel safe in this way. Like it made that part of me be like, see, nothing bad happened. Like you floated in a body of water, you had a great old time and you went home, you know, and it made me start feeling a little bit braver to like, I think really cultivate like mini joys in my life. And, you know, when there was a break in the monotony of the day to experience some joy or to see the joy in something or, or maybe awe or like different things that feel sort of like adjacent to it. Mm -hmm. I was like, see, like nothing bad happens. Like you can have this big laugh or have this big swell of feeling and then like go back to doing the dishes. Like it'll be okay. But what is it? Like, I think joy is something too that adds so much to your life, but I, it really impressed me. Like it's hard to build emotional resilience. It's hard to rewire your brain. Like all of this is like not easy stuff to do, but I was surprised at how quickly you can cultivate more joy. Yeah. Yes. I think joy is something that you can access really at any time. And what's interesting about exploring joy through something like drugs, like what you're saying as you were saying that, I was thinking maybe the safety that you're finding is in the fact that you know there's going to be a come down and mm. you wouldn't have to live in that space where you just are so open and happy. And what does that mean? And then who y- who are you? And what's anchoring you? And all these questions that we don't have to ask if we're just a little bit going through our day with you know a tinge of like dissociation so that we're not really awake to the joy of our lives. And it takes a lot of energy. I feel really strongly that joy, and it's what my entire last book, last chapter of the book is about, because that is, I think, the marker of whether you are really in a place of stability in, in terms of mental wellness is like, can you really step into joy? Because it is so terrifying to be able to say, one, I deserve to feel this. You know, just that in itself is hard for people to give themselves permission to feel entitled to being happy and not just happy in an immediate gratification like dopamine way, but in a real sense of, I am living the life that I want to live. And I look around me and yeah, there are a few things that I would like change a little bit, but for the most part, like this is what I want. And particularly for women, I think that that is very difficult. And I think there are a lot of reasons why we resist joy and resentment is another one. And, Mm. you know, resentment is a big barrier to joy. And I think we hold on to resentments because it's like, we don't realize it at the time, but we're making a bid for validation because Mm. if I am resentful, then I'm showing you how much pain I'm in, right? And it becomes something that you need to fix, not me, right? It's kind of like we broadcast our resentment for as a bid for validation and connection. I'm going to withhold my attention from you, give you the silent treatment, not do this, not do that, or just not show up as my full self because I'm angry with you, 
but on a deeper level, I'm resentful about something. And you can't be resentful and feel joy at the same time. And I think one of the unlocks to let go of resentment is really understanding that you have the power to validate your own experience. And, you know, when you're in a control mindset, you grasp onto resentment because you don't understand that you have that power. So you're trying to kind of shoulder shake everyone without actually touching them. You're shoulder shaking them with your energy and being like, can't you see what you did or how upset I am or how much I need you to tell me that, you know, this should have been a different way and I deserve more and you know, you're going to fix it and don't worry and all the things that we actually can give ourselves. And we don't need to exclusively give those things to ourselves. I am not of the school of thought that nobody needs validation and you should, you know, be able to (laughs) like live in this emotional island by yourself where you give yourself all the sense of reassurance and validation and love that a human being could ever need. Like that's not real. We're social (laughs) creatures. It's important to get validation from other people and to say, I'm not making that up, am I? Or I'm doing okay, right? Like that's okay. It's just not okay when it's the primary source, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of validation, it was really interesting for me when I learned like external validation only works if you believe it to be true yourself, you know? And you can feel that in your body, you know, when you're unsure and someone goes like, no, you're doing okay. You're like, that was like a half victory, you know, versus when you're like, I'm 90% sure I'm doing okay, but I wouldn't mind hearing it from someone else. Like that feels so different. I think for me, I feel it very physically different in my bod of Mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm really seeking in a way that I don't think serves me or could potentially like, you know, really confuse me to be honest. But when I need to just sort of like maybe work through fear or doubt or whatever, you know, and just sort of bolster myself. That's really interesting that that resentment is such a block to to joy and the relationship too with validation, because something I was thinking about with in regards to this episode, this conversation is like, I think lots of times when I've experienced like the most joy I have felt a sense of like interconnectedness, mm-hmm. you know, to the world, to people or whatever, or or just felt this like big swell of emotion of like what it means to be alive in a way. And it'd be mm-hmm. very positive, you know, like I don't really know how I would define or explain joy, but I've never needed, I think, validation about what I felt joy about because the feeling was so powerful that I was like, well, there, there's no way I can, you know, like there's no need for external validation or, you know, like it, it just, it, it's such a um, pure force or something that I hadn't thought about how those things like all relate that you're right. Like resentment, man, resentment's tough because I think it feels somewhat inevitable in life and it it's hard because sometimes it's like you have to learn how to like have conversations or ask for things that like most of us, I don't think we're taught and all this, stuff. you know, I don't know how you could live a life where resentment wasn't growing or, or you weren't dealing with it in some way. However, I hadn't thought about what a form of like poison it becomes, how much it does take away from, from your life. It really does. It really does. And I think, you know, 
we already know that like clinical levels of depression and anxiety and you know excess anxiety anyway it can be debilitating but we don't talk about things like resentment as being you know debilitating and it is really heavy and you know if you want to be sort of light enough to be uplifted by joy it's not about like creating a life in which you're inoculated from feeling resentment that's not possible um you know, as you pointed out, resentment is going to come and go. And I think it's about how you meet resentment. And if you meet resentment with a sense of, I'm going to take this and broadcast it through my energy, my body language, my choices, then you're in a control mindset where you are doubling down on trying to control not only how you feel, but also how other people feel, meaning you're, you know, maybe trying to make them feel guilty or trying to make them engage in reparative measures or whatever it may be. You know, the opposite of control is really power. And I think being able to take a power mindset and approach to resentment looks like, oh, resentment is a cue that I need to recalibrate something about the way I'm spending my energy. Something's not right here. I'm giving too much away. And in that way, you know, you can use resentment as this wonderful signal of like something's misaligned and I just need to figure out what it is. And thank God resentment showed up because otherwise I could just have been here forever hemorrhaging all my energy away and then not notice for five years, you know? And so yeah. resentment's not a bad thing. Like, I know this is the most therapisty thing to say, but none of these feelings are like good or bad or something we need to like avoid or fix. It's just about meeting them with a level of conscientiousness and understanding what your values are. And like not perfectly, you know, we're constantly cal recalibrating ourselves and constantly changing. So it, it's, it's okay for some things to be fuzzy, but generally like having a sense of who you are and what you want is important so that you can decide whether or not the way that you're showing up on a day-to-day basis is what is right for you. And so it goes back to this question of like joy is about living a life in which you feel free to be who you are. And sometimes we get that in glimpses, you know, this sense of freedom and autonomy and um, gratitude for the relationships that we have and all of that stuff. Um, and I don't think joy is an emotion that can be sustained in the long term. Like I wouldn't say it's necessarily the goal to be joyful all day long. <laughs> <laughs> sounds really exhausting to me actually, but I think yeah. being able to, and I put this structure in the book, like being able to understand that joy is about opening yourself up to pleasure, not immediate gratification, but pleasure. And pleasure is a direct joyful satisfaction. And the way that you can distinguish the difference between immediate gratification and pleasure, and I'm not just talking about sexual pleasure here, but also that too, the way that you can discern them is that pleasure feels good like before, during, and after. And often with immediate gratification, the anticipation of 
the pleasure can kind of be loaded. It's a little bit like, oh, I hope I don't indulge in that. And then the Mm -hmm. event itself of whatever you're doing that's bringing you pleasure feels good. But then afterwards, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe did I do too much of that? And that's immediate gratification. Pleasure Mm. is, it feels so good to think about. Like if I think about what brings me pleasure, I love taking walks in New York City. If I think right now about taking a walk later today, especially because it's like dreary and drizzling out, which is weather I love, I'm like, (laughs) oh, I can't wait to do that. Then when I'm going to be walking, it's going to be enjoyable for me. It's going to be a real pleasure. And then afterwards, I'm going to think about that walk and I'm going to be like, oh, that walk was the best. (laughs) I love it. That's a good pleasure litmus test. I never knew that. That this is fascinating. That's the way that I think about it. And that's the way that I put it in the book, just because a lot of these, there's an ineffable quality to a lot of what we're talking about, right? Like there's no concrete definition of joy or any of this stuff. And so, you know, I tried to to write something that kind of gave people um, like language landmarks to be like, okay, let me graft my experience onto this and see where you know, where it's fitting for me. And so I asked myself like, okay, we all want to lead more joyful lives. If pleasure invites joy, what invites pleasure? And I think the answer to that is trust. And that's another tricky thing too. And this, there's so much interplay between all of these. And it's, yes. and it's something that I think plagues a lot of women in particular is can I trust myself to encounter the things that give me pleasure, right? I mean, we don't have to walk very far to see that that in itself feels like emotional landmines everywhere. You know, it's like very tricky. Food and pleasure, so loaded. Yeah, We're taught the opposite, right? We're taught that pleasure should fuel our energy so that we can balance more tasks and do more things and be, you know, everything to all people at once. And we don't know, like I, what I see in my practice and in my own life is women focusing and people focusing so much on mastering immediate gratification that they don't even give themselves the chance to graduate to pleasure. It's like, Forget about mastering immediate gratification. That is not even the game. Like that's not even what you want to do. You want to feel pleasure. And the reason that people don't leapfrog over to pleasure is because they don't trust themselves. Yeah. Trying to control so much because, well, something doesn't compute. It's like, well, I need to master immediate gratification because if I'm left to my own devices, I'm just going to go out and like, get wasted and have sex with everyone and eat all the chocolate in my pantry and do this and do that. It's like, that's not true. Give yourself some credit. Like if you were actually leading a life in which you really felt this simple, joyful pleasure, it wouldn't be this like scrambling to consume it up. You know, that's immediate gratification. And we binge on immediate gratification, not because like we want so much and we're just like all animals with manners as, as you know, Freud thought, (laughs) but because we're burnt the fuck out because we don't have pleasure in our lives and pleasure is an energy source. Pleasure is what sustains us. 
And that's why I love the expression, like, take pleasure in your life, because I love the literalness of that, like, put pleasure in your life. And taking pleasure out of our lives destroys us and depletes us of energy. And again, it's something I emphasize in the Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control is that like time constraints are a number one complaint of like, oh, I don't have time. And if I just had more time, I would, you know, I don't know. I don't exercise, but like, I guess some people like to <laughs> exercise. <laughs> I mean, I like my walks. I like my walks. Um, I would exercise more or like write the book or spend more time with the people that I love or do whatever. I just need more time. I just need more time. And it's like, if you're really being honest with yourself, and there are exceptions to this rule, of course, but if you're really being honest with yourself, you don't need the time to do it, right? You spent like 45 minutes scrolling Instagram and like watching trash TV last night. It's like, you need the energy to do it. And the way find energy is you give yourself access to pleasure. And the way that you give yourself access to pleasure is that you trust yourself. And, you know, you have to rebuild trust with yourself, just like you would have to rebuild trust with any person you're in a relationship in which trust has been violated. And I think that's also spelled out in my work because we think trust is just like this decision and this grand leap and like grand gesture. And it's not like trust is some, is a choice that you need to make that's built slowly over time. And this is most, the example I always use is I used to do couples therapy. I do not do that anymore. And when couples are dealing with the aftermath of an affair, in which trust has been like racket smashed into the dirt. It is never, ever the big, bold, grand gesture that rebuilds the connection and trust and safety in that relationship. It's never the like, the person who has been betrayed does not give a shit about 200 roses in a room. They want you to do the most simple things like call when you say you're going to call and be where you say you will be. And like, they want you to do those simple things over time. And that's what rebuilds trust. And so this, sometimes what I see people do is like, try to grand gesture themselves by being like, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to, you know, cut ties with all these people. And I'm going to do all this stuff to prove to myself that I now trust myself and I'm my own best friend and I don't need anybody else. And I'm in it, you know, and it's like, that's not necessary. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is in extreme circumstances, but trusting yourself is really about saying, okay, let me examine my values, figure out where I may have made some missteps, and let me walk myself back to where I want to be. Yeah. Do you think also that joy sometimes gets written off as like frivolous? Like, I feel. Like when I was, you know, more dedicated to exploring it, it, what you were saying about like the time, like I don't have the time. What I noticed with some of my relationships, some of my friendships and stuff is that people, I think maybe they felt something. They felt some kind of way. I don't know if it was like threatened or jealous or something. And I think sometimes what they couldn't name necessarily was like, they weren't creating the space in their life mm-hmm. to 
to ask some of this stuff or figure out or go, gosh, why am I having this big reaction to Anna exploring this or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And something I appreciate is that you break things down, I think, into like just plain language and how it not just like what it is clinically, but like how it plays out in our lives, you know? And I think it's interesting what you're saying about the time thing. Like, I think it creates this thing where it's like so easy to kind of disregard these things that are scary and would make big impacts in our lives if we gave them a little bit more attention. And then they have these easy ways we can sort of mask that by being like, I don't have time or I'm exhausted or whatever, which is all valid. But it it creates this like cycle that's going to just make it harder for anything to shift, you know? Right. Well, Um, I think you're you're really hitting on like the cultural pulse of all of this, which mm. is that, you know, pleasure is not a value that's emphasized in the United States. Efficiency is and hard yeah. work and grit. And so I think sometimes we hold on to those identities of like, I'm a responsible upstanding person because look at how miserable I am. Uh, yeah. And when <laughs> other people, when other people like are in ex- their curiosities. And, you know, I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts about the relationship with sleep and like whether you get up early or not and think just things like that. And like, we're all trying to broadcast our goodness in a way when our sense of self-worth is shaky or tenuous. We're kind of trying to be like, oh man, I, I mean, I saw this really funny meme of, that said, get married so you can have a fight over who got less sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're all trying to be like, oh, I am just like, work is so crazy. You know, I had this wild conversation where I said, oh, my my work week was so great. And, and you get these reactions where it's like, well, must be nice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, it must it's like be this, nice. this sense of, I don't have that luxury. And it's really interesting for me in those moments to notice what comes up, which is like my reflex is trying to justify like I worked so hard to be able to get to a place where I even understand myself enough to know how I want to spend my time. And then I had to say no and be uncomfortable and do all of these things that I can't even list just to be able to get in a place to do it. And most of it is like invisible work of giving yourself permission to yes. explore. But that lasts a lifetime. Like that doesn't go away. People's reactions when you lead a joyful life, like you can feel their the projection of their own resistance to doing that for themselves. And that's all that is. It's nothing personal. It's just someone being like, that's not right. Because yeah. that's the message that we receive in our culture. And It's like you have to ask yourself at some point, efficiency for what? Listen, I spent a lot of time growing up in Europe and, you know, got to spend a month there this fall and I'm freshly reminded, you know, like efficiency for what? And we, we take this moralistic attitude in the States and then we're like the biggest fucking hedonists that have ever existed. You know, like I could have anything I want to deliver to my, my apartment right now. Like, I don't know that that's progress in some ways, you know, to what you were saying in terms of like instant gratification versus pleasure, you know, like, could I have whatever I wanted delivered? Yes. But would I necessarily feel good? before, during, and after? No, you know, Mm -hmm. like 
not necessarily Mm -hmm. depends. That's really interesting. I love what you just said though, of the projection of their resistance. Like, I mean, obviously we can know things are projection, but I, I hadn't thought about how it could be beneficial sometimes to maybe name it to yourself to also help with that like self-validation of like, yes, you're feeling something, you know, perhaps it's the projection of their resistance and then, you know, moving along like seems helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's important to name that stuff because otherwise you can easily spiral into the like, am I indulging too much in myself? Should I be doing this more? You know, and all of these well-worn paths that we are taught to take about how we shouldn't actually be enjoying our lives. We should be creating lives so that we can enjoy them later. Like that's basically the lesson is like life isn't to be enjoyed. Life is to set up a really great foundation so that you can enjoy it later or so that your kids can enjoy it or so that this and that, whatever. And it's like, if you believe that, that's okay. You know, we're all entitled to believe whatever we want to. I don't believe that. And I am here to live my life joyfully now. And I think that something we all forget is that we're all going to die. And I think about (laughs) mortality all the time and I always have, and it's not in a morbid way. It's in this really beautiful way of, I've always had an acute sense of the fleeting of just like our fleeting physicality. Like we're here for a second, we blink and then we're gone. Yeah. And I, while like during my little blink, I I want to enjoy my life. I don't want to make, ex, yeah. you know, excellent plans to be really happy later. And I think, you know, one of the things that I do to help, help me feel entitled to enjoy my life, which as I'm saying, it sounds so weird to say because I'm like, why would I not feel entitled to enjoy my life? Oh yeah, because that's not our cultural, like that's not in the cultural curriculum. Yeah, it's not our conditioning. <laughs> right, right. And so one of the things I say is that you enjoying your life and modeling that for the people around you, the people that are like maybe at this point in time rolling their eyes at you, the friends who are kind of like, oh, you know, questioning in some way, or even for your kids, like, that is the greatest gift you can give to another person of like license to do that for themselves. Like seeing someone else actually leading a joyful life, even though that may initially feel bitter or jealous, like induce jealousy or whatever, like sparks something in other people where it's like, it's okay. You have permission to do this, you know? And I think that that's a real gift to give to people. Yeah. But mostly it's really for yourself to just like, you can't be your full self if you're holding on to resentment and you're not really joyful and you're kind of living in this muted way. And, you know, I also want to say before we run out of time that clinical depression is is a constellation of forces at work that go beyond mindset. So the last thing I want is for someone Mm. to be listening to this and be like, okay, all I have to do is like invite a little pleasure, which means I need to trust myself, which first I have to forgive myself. Oh, there's four steps. This is amazing. Let me go get that book and do those things. And it's like, (laughs) listen, this is all part of a much bigger picture and something that is a really never-ending fluid process 
that requires all kinds of different help at all kinds of different stages for all kinds of different reasons. And there's no like one thing, there's no silver bullet, there's none of that. But you can kind of pepper a lot of resilience around yourself by giving yourself the chance to hear messages of like, okay, it's not just one thing, but this is part of it, right? Yeah. Forgiving yourself and, and, and trusting yourself, which enables you to feel pleasure, which then enables you to access more joy. Okay. That's part of it. You know, if someone's clinically depressed, like maybe being on medication, you know, and managing that is another part of it. And there is just a sphere of stuff that's moving around all the time. It's not like a line or a ladder or a staircase or anything. It's not linear. And so I just want to, I, I don't know if I said that cleanly, but I just want anyone who's listening to hear that this is one piece of a big, big, big puzzle that all of us, um, I don't want to say struggle with, but I'll say contend with. Yes. And, you know, it's part of being human. It's part yeah. of being human is that like joy is kind of elusive, suffering's a little bit easier for some reason. And there's a lot of resistance to letting go of your identity as someone who's maybe been hurt or has reason to be resentful or who's not a happy person. This is just how you are. There's a lot of resistance to letting go of the familiarity of that, which we're, you know, hardwired to do is to hold on to what's familiar and to step into a new way of thinking. And I would just say that the new way of thinking doesn't have to eclipse the old way of thinking. You know, you could just create two paths that can both be, like both tracks can be running at the same time. And the point is not to get one mode of thinking to dominate over the other and like crush it. Yeah. The point is to stay open enough to realize that your perspective is a choice. Yes. And I do think you said that really well. And I can speak as someone, you know, that I didn't realize this was unusual, but sometimes with my therapist, I will say, and I would offer, you know, this to anyone who's maybe clinically depressed or just, you know, has somebody that maybe makes them feel like doing this stuff is harder for them in some way. You know, maybe you're dealing with recent trauma or something. It's helpful for me with my therapist or whoever maybe your support team is, is to say, like, I would like to examine this. I mm -hmm. want to bring some attention to this, you know, mm -hmm. and th like just doing that helped me sort of relax and mm -hmm. realize all of this stuff is a marathon, not a sprint. All of this stuff is much more of a process and you can feel still a lot better or feel mm -hmm. closer to your goal just by like understanding sometimes the interplay between things or where you fall and of like, oh, that's hard for me because of blah. Like, I just think it can be fun sometimes to be a bit of your own like emotional detective in that way of yeah. just being open to like, what is my relationship to this? You know, and what, you know, and just looking at it that way that, yeah, there is no simple fix. And I think the way you talk about a lot of these things that I really appreciate, Catherine, is you give a lot of hope, I think, of like, if you're interested or you want this for yourself, 
it's possible. Like these are the places to look. This is the, right. you know, path to go down if this is of interest to you, which I think most of us don't just want the deliver. We don't just want the uh, instant gratification. We're taking it because it's available. But I think mm -hmm. most of us would like the longer term um, understanding and fluency with some of these things, yeah. you know, and I think, think you give people tools that they can start that process for themselves of kind of going, how do I build my fluency with this? So thank you. that's such a great compliment. I love the language you're offering of, I would really like to examine this. Even just saying that to yourself or to your therapist or to your friends, like that's such a powerful stake in the ground that you're just digging in there. And I think that's really empowering. And I appreciate that compliment so much because I did not want to write a book that just helped people feel better. I wanted to write a book that helped that like amorphous, elusive feeling of like, why can't I get my shit together? Like, <laughs> what is that about? Like, yeah. like what, where am I? What is my starting point? Like, just that disoriented, like foggy, just confusion of being human and be able to just like, um, you know, when you're on a walking trail and you see there's like a, a thing of blue paint on a tree, <laughs> like this, you're not totally lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're um, like, I didn't think I was wandering the forest, but for a second I did. And I'm really grateful right. to see. I know. You I know. remember this one time, like I, everyone thinks I'm such a nature person. I'm like, I do love nature, but I love nature when you can also hear the cars. Like somewhere <laughs> close by. I love a paved and landscaped like hiking trail. And this one time I really did was like, freaking out like, oh my God, I was with my two dogs. I was like, I am lost. <laughs> I had no reception. I was like, they are going to have to send heat seeking helicopters <laughs> to find me. And I was like getting all worked up in my head. And then I turned and I saw this like trash can. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big trash can here. I cannot be that lost. And I was like five minutes away. <laughs> That's so funny. And I love the logic of like when you are flipped out and you're like, well, there is a trash can. I don't believe yeah. nature is making trash cans <laughs> right now. <laughs> like, no, when you um, will take it, the comfort. But, well, yeah, thank you so that's much. What I tried to do with this book. I hope you get it. If anything that I've said has resonated with you, it's called The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, A Path to Peace and Power. And it's available beginning January 17th. It's my first book. And if you want to look for more of my work, you can find me on Instagram at Katherine Morgan Schaffler. Yes, yes. And I, it's funny, I did the intro for your other episode today and I was like, like, no, really guys, I like love this book, you know, it's <laughs> true. And I hope everybody will get it because like it, I felt you exploded my brain multiple times in a way that, you know, it'd been a minute since I'd had it exploded like that. So I highly recommend it to everybody, especially women. If you feel the sense of you're working really, really, really hard and yet like you don't have the life you want and you maybe feel like everybody else does or some you're like missing some secret, you want to read this because it, it's probably related to your perfectionism as maybe I have been discovering lately. Who, who could say? Who could say? <laughs> well, and thank you for giving me this chance to come on here. I like love talking with you and I love I your show and it's just been such a great opportunity and chance to 
like revisit this work. And it's very energizing to have these conversations. So I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I appreciate you and I appreciate you being here. So that's all for today, y'all. Bye. I mean, let's be real. If I could interview Catherine a million more times, I would. But I hope that... I'll be curious, like, let me know, was your experience like mine? Did learning more about joy help you cultivate more in your life? How do you feel about joy? Is joy threatening to you? Would love to hear people's thoughts. You can always DM me, email me, or you can leave a message on the speak pipe. Totally up to you. Or you can be like, just enjoying your life. Until then, I will see you or I won't see you, but I will be talking to you next week. Next week, I'm excited. We've got a men's mental health with Dr. Josh. That should be great. So until then, I hope we all experience more joy. Have a great week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.